You're listening to the Real Intelligence Podcast, presented by RxA, a leader in business intelligence and data science consulting services. We're here to bring attention to the unique stories, perspectives, challenges, and success that individuals in the data industry face at every career stage. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Real Intelligence Podcast. You're on today with Jason Harper, CEO and founder of RxA, and Anna Schultz, marketing coordinator at RxA. Our guest today is Heather Fitzgerald, Senior Vice President of Distribution Intelligence, Data, and Salesforce at Jackson. Heather is a data visionary and analytics leader stemming from Chicago, Detroit, and Silicon Valley, with over 20 years of experience in driving innovative global solutions and data-driven insights. She has deep expertise in business automation, data technology platforms, digital transformation, sales, marketing, and storytelling. Heather holds a BA in economics from Michigan State University and an MBA from the University of Detroit Mercy. Her professional passions surround providing holistic data, measurement, and insights to tie online and offline platforms together and to drive insight-driven storytelling. Additionally, she enjoys, enjoys building teams to meet varied client and corporate needs, as well as mentoring junior staff. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you, Anna and Jason, for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining. Um, we like to start off the podcast by getting to know the real you. So I have a few questions that we might not find the answers to in that professional bio. Um, so one of them is, what's the most interesting thing you've read lately? This was um, a really interesting question that made me, quite honestly, over the last few days, go back and think a little bit too <laughs> about what I what I have been reading. But one that I, probably for the last year to year and a half, that I've really been a little quite honestly enamored with is uh, Dr. Edith Eger, E-G-E-R. It's her last name. Um, she has a couple of different books out, but in particular, her first, uh, her first book called The Choice. She's a 96-year-old, still alive, living in Southern California, um, who actually grew up um, and was in Auschwitz. So she grew up during the Holocaust. Her, um, her sister and her survived. Her parents didn't. Um, they all were taken together. But it's, again, coming back to the title of her book, The Choice, it's how she learned to live and thrive. And, you know, in her 50s, she went and got her PhD, for example, here in the United States, um, but married, had children, how she ended up thriving after going through something so obviously horrific <laughs> as World War II and, and, and you, know, um, you know, what was happening um, in Europe. But really translating that into each one of us in, in, in more of a public sense, in public realm, in terms of what we can control on a daily basis, in terms of the choices that we make, whether it's in business, um, you know, in our professional lives, or whether it's in our personal lives, we control how we react to every single situation that happens. And looking at being able to start to turn things on their head and flip the script a little bit, even in really horrible situations, and how to how to have a positive outlook that can get you through some of those times. So that really, um, her, her second book is called The Gift After the Choice. Um, so I would really encourage anybody to read those um, to read those books. Um, she has some really great stuff on her website too. So I would definitely encourage everyone to uh, to learn about her. Awesome! Thanks for kind of walking us through that. And I think, like you said, that has a lot of applications in personal life, and business, and strategic leadership, and everything like that. So that's really interesting. We'll definitely have to check it out. Um, my second question for you is, what's something within your industry that you consider maybe underrated? I, I, probably some of the theme of <laughs> probably a few things that I'll talk about today, but 
Absolutely. The last mile within um, data and analytics is something that I've been really passionate about and has been really important to to me in, in all of the different roles that I've been in and the teams that I've led. Um, and that last mile is how to actually translate the data that you're finally able to access, that you're finally able to get your hands on. How can you actually translate that into actionable insights into a data story using visuals, using a narrative, obviously using data um, to really influence and impact decisions that are being made within the organization um, and you know, helping senior leadership with strategic um, recommendations as well. But a lot of organizations, and, and Jason, you probably have seen this quite a bit, where you, so much of the energy and time, rightfully so, needs to be focused on extracting and getting a hold of that data and getting it into a usable format for analysts to be able to do those, those types of you know, last mile analytics activities. But a lot of organizations tend to really stop there. And what I'd love to be able to do is to take that last mile and bring it to life. And I think that that really has been a little underutilized due to all of the technology and innovation that have been that have been coming into the marketplace and coming into this industry. Um, but that piece sometimes gets ignored. And I think that it's really important because it really closes the holistic circle. Absolutely. And, and I think kind of that storytelling aspect is something that you've really highlighted within your career and kind of made a point to really cultivate that at organizations that you've worked at, it sounds like. So um, can you kind of, in your own words, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career journey um, for our audience? Absolutely. Sure. So when I say the number of years, it often frightens me a little bit <laughs> when I say that I've been, you know, doing analytics, data analytics, air quoting there, um, since 1996. So quite a long time. <laughs> but if you think about just that 25, 26 year period, what this industry has gone through, it's been quite incredible. Um, you know, when I first came into data analytics, it was really just taking any piece of information, whether it's sales data or survey research information, and trying to actually do secondary research on that and, and kind of turn that around from an insight standpoint. But what we're able to do now um, is really measure, obviously, much, much more, but the small things. So way back when you know big data was kind of 10 plus years ago, big data was really the phrase and the couple words that everybody really, you know, it was being talked about everywhere. But what I really think that big data is, it's the ability to measure the small things now, the really minute small things in each individual person versus macro groups versus, you know, macro types of behaviors and activities. But we're being able to get down to these to these really, you know, intricate levels. And I think that that's really some of the exciting things that I've seen take place over the last five to 10 years Things that we kind of dreamt of being able to do a decade ago, we're actually being able to do now. Um, and being able to see just this natural progression with technology in the data and analytics space has just been completely fascinating to me. And I, I've really enjoyed that over the last you know, two couple decades, two and a half decades, if you will, um, within the industry. So while I've done that, um, and you, know, you kind of mentioned it, started off in Detroit for a long time, then Chicago, then out to San Francisco, and now here in Nashville really driving a lot of those same activities within the teams and the organizations that I belong to, but also being able to put a, a lens, if you will, on all of that work that is encompassed by having experience across multiple industries, across different types of verticals, and really bringing home best practices that can be utilized, You know, whether it's a tech company you're working with, a CPG company, financial services company, 
Um, and that's, again, really what I've tried to hone in on and what I, I truly enjoy doing. Love that. And thank you, Heather, so much for making the time today to, to talk to us. We really appreciate you being able to share, you know, what you're sharing today. And, and your story, I think, is, you know, especially given, you know, the the different places you've been and worked and, and experienced, being able to share that now is um, we're really grateful for that. Um I think one of the one of the themes that I that you know in in our in our discussions and in what you're sharing so far, we're talking a lot about storytelling, and I think I, I would I would even when we think about that that last mile of analytics today, one of the things that I really believe in is sort of that human in the loop, artificial intelligence or human in the loop here, where there is all this technology and it's super great and saves a lot of time, but I think having folks spending time to analyze things and, and that last what you're phrasing as the last mile, I like that is it really, it's a big, makes a big difference in what actually translates things from a really fancy data science project that we can all look at and reflect on how great and complex it is. That's what translates that into something that we actually use to make different decisions on. And that's where that, that last thing helps. I wonder um, kind of thinking about that through the lens of storytelling, you know, could you maybe talk a little bit about some of those insight-driven storytelling and some of the, the impacts that that's had? Yeah, it, great questions and great, um, you know, just uh, discussion points that you just made on all of that. And it's kind of interesting. I still use, and, and Jason, you and I worked together, gosh, 12 plus years ago, 14 years ago. Um, and working, you know, when we worked together, that was the very first data science model that I had seen come really to life and the success of it that, you know, that we were creating at that time. And I still use that story to this day as we're starting to bring in data science models into production um, with, within the, the organization I'm at right now. So absolutely, you know, I, I almost feel like I'm coming for a full circle from 12 plus years ago in terms of um, what we started to be able to do. And what I what I think, um, you know, regarding storytelling, it's really important for and I, I teach a couple of classes um, at Michigan State on in fact, two weeks ago, I was just up there teaching this as well, um, to to some of the, the data class, the, the data analytics classes within the marketing within the business school and marketing. And one of the biggest things that you have to really understand, obviously your audience, but you have to also understand what you're putting together. And it's not just at the end of the day, I, I always, you know, say this, for probably just as long, 10 to 12 years, um, you can't just push something over the fence and say that the number's eight. What you want to be able to do and provide to your stakeholder, your senior leadership, whomever this, whatever you're doing is going to, whether it's a report, a presentation, whatever, is describe everything going on around that number eight. What are all of the things that happen to make that number be eight? And then we can develop those strategic recommendations from there. And I think it's really important, too, that we understand as, as data analytics leaders and professionals, sometimes what you say isn't going to be a good story. But, you, but that's okay. And that's our job to not, be, not have a bias. Everybody wants, you know, X campaign to work really, really well or this sales strategy to work really well or the launch of a new product. But being able to actually have that unbiased opinion and drive the necessary insights that will influence the direction of all of those different things is really important. And none of us should be afraid to be able, you know, none of us should be afraid to say that something didn't work because that's actually insights. That's actually us learning things as well. That's going to shape 
future decisions and you know whether that's future strategies product introductions etc so there's so many different instances where being able to add context to the numbers is going to really drive impact um, and influence within your organization and i i think another component of that is also understanding you know along with that don't just say the numbers eight along with that is understanding that business decisions are made not just from a logical sense, but we as humans also have have an emotional side of our brain that works unconsciously that we may not be aware of is helping us make decisions on a daily basis. So with our insights and data storytelling, again, utilizing the data, the narratives and the visuals and playing to both the logical and the emotional side of a, any human's brain is actually going to drive the strategic decision making that you're you're aiming to do with your results and your numbers. I think, yeah, reflecting back on our time that we worked together at Organic, uh, the ad agency, I think that was super transformative, at least, I mean, for me, and it sounds like for you as well, with regards to like consciously thinking about storytelling in a business setting. And one of the most valuable pieces of, there were a lot, but one of the most valuable things I took away from my experience at Organic was the moth storytelling training and those methods of setting the stakes, starting in the action, you know, landing the spaceship, like all of these sort of like fundamental to storytelling um, kind of tools and methods and framing when it comes to giving a presentation or it, uh, helping walking a client through a report. I wonder if there are any <clears throat> kind of tips and tricks or methods that, you know, you might, you might be using today that would help, help do this. So, these are kind of like the four points of data storytelling that I like to, to, to teach my teams and teach folks about. But the first is obviously defining your story. What is the main thing in your presentation or your report that you want to get, you want to get the message across? What is, what is the business decision that's going to be made at the end of the day based on what you're bringing to life? That's going to help you define your story. The second is display. And you'll kind of notice that each one of these four sections here, you know, it has one word and it, it, it begins with D. So we've got define, now we're on to display. And it's what is what is the best data visualization to be able to use? Is it an image? Is it an infographic? Is it a, a table? Is it a graph? What is it an impact, um, an impact picture for or image, for example? So there's a lot of different things that you can do based on not only your audience, but what type of information you're you're trying to get across as well. So displaying the, the best visualization would be the second. The third is declutter. So that's really removing any distracting or unnecessary information. And I, I go back to a lot of the days when we would do um, market research surveys, for example. There is so many questions in any given survey that being able to put all of that in a report is just unthinkable. You're not gonna be, it's just gonna be way too big. Your audience will get lost. What are the main things you want to put into this? And all of that other necessary or, uh, information and data that you got from, from additional questions can go in an appendix or go into, you know, different reports for different people. So decluttering what you're putting together is really important. Um, and then the last one is direct. So directing your audience's attention to the key components of your story. And a lot of that is how you just set up your slides. It's how you set up your presentation. It's how you write your introduction to whether it's on, you know, the, the header on a slide or, or the beginning of a paragraph in, in a, a report or in a white paper. So the four, you know, four D's of storytelling, define, display, declutter, and direct. Those are the big things that I, um, that I really try to teach folks. I love that. And, and I love the 
the simplicity of it as a framework and the complexity that it lends itself to. That's a really, uh, I think that's super useful. Thank you for sharing that. That, that. That's fantastic. I think, you know, when I hear things like that too, thinking about how we learned of them and how we kind of, you know, pick these things up along the way, I would imagine like mentorship has been important for you. And it's something that, you know, it sounds like you probably do um, some of yourself. I'm curious, you know, from in your experience, like, have you, have you worked with or have you had folks that you consider to be mentors that helped you, especially early in your career? Mm-hmm. And I'd love for, for you maybe to talk about how you're, you know, currently maybe passing those learnings on to others today. Yeah, absolutely. So outside of data, this is my other passion point um, in leadership, which is mentoring junior staff. And it absolutely 100% comes back to the fact that I had a great mentor when I started my career. So when I graduated from Michigan State, um, and this obviously way back, you know, in the 1990s, um, really having an internship was just really starting to gain momentum. Um, and people, a lot of people didn't do that at that time. So the program I was in actually required it for graduation, which I'm very thankful for. Um, but where I went to intern um, actually became uh, who hired me right after college. So and I think I think we both know him, but uh, Paul Ballou was his name, was my boss there. And then um, he went to General Motors and I followed him there as well. Um, So really having that person from, quite honestly, day one of my internship um, through to, you know, almost a decade of working together was really, really great. And seeing, you know, what he could teach me through that time period um, and and, and the the experience that that we're, we're able to honestly come about from the different places that we worked and the clients that we worked on together. So. I love, as you kind of you know mentioned, I love to bring that back and come full circle with with the you know the people that I've met. So I've you know across again the, all of the different cities across this country that I've lived in, there's still folks that you know that have been on my teams or even people that I've interviewed that I've stayed close with that you know maybe didn't accept the job um, at one of the companies I was at, who I still talk to, who still call me or text me for career advice. Um, wanting me to, you know, help them look over their resumes or, you know, any any one of these different things. And I just, I really continue to love doing that. We have a really great mentor program here um, at Jackson, um, where I'm at now, where it matches it matches a mentor and a mentee up with, based on a lot of different criteria and factors, um, and so actually a, a personality and a, um, a mentor kind de- of desiring. Uh, topic desiring survey that that they hand out. So I really engage in that every quarter. So we kind of um, have new mentors and mentees every quarter. So that's really really um, a good program. And I have actually quite a quite a few mentor mentees that are across different offices. So up in Michigan or in Chicago. So a lot of different a lot of different places to meet um, and to influence the organization that way. In a, in addition to that, I also. Um, my team runs um, the intern program for all of Nashville. So we have, you know, we run and, and coordinate and, and really structure an entire eight-week program every summer for, um, for interns across the, across the country um, who spend a couple weeks here in Nashville, go back to wherever they're living and come back at the end of the program for a couple weeks as well. So that's another place. We've actually had really good placement from the intern program. Three people actually from our summer cohort actually have already gotten full-time jobs here um, in just a few months. A couple of them are graduating in December, um, and we have another offer going out to someone graduating in May. So really great opportunities to get great. involved with the with folks that are up and coming throughout, um, you know, th- through this industry. 
I love that. I mean, that's great to see you really kind of giving back in a way that's meaningful to you and that you had experience with yourself. And certainly, you know, you kind of, I'm sure feel like you hit the lottery with Paul, you know, especially having him, <laughs> you know, and seeing what he's gone on to in his career too, right? Leading yeah. analytics at Ford uh, after his, his role. I think he went right from GM to Ford, if memory serves. Um, I may not have his career path exactly right, but I did get to work with him a bit at Ford. And yeah, he's certainly a right. big visionary type person, like definitely big picture. Now he's with thinking. the NFL. <laughs> and now he's at the NFL. So yeah, not a bad, not a bad path no. and certainly not someone, uh, you know, certainly someone that you'd great to learn from. So kudos to you to yeah. find that too. I think part of it too is being willing to take on you know, had like being open and, and enough and like understanding enough the importance of learning from someone in that position. And so I think like, you know, kudos to you for seeing and recognizing that at a young point in your career. Um, cause not everybody does that, you know, it, it's, it takes, it takes both sides, I think, to come to the table to really get meaningful things out of it. So. Agree. Kudos. Um, so I think, you know, one of the kind of circling back sort of we talked a little bit about this but sort of like one of the questions that people you know in, in this field that we get asked a lot is sort of you know prove that my marketing is working right so like prove to me that this is working like prove you know show you know, along those lines like so what maybe in your experience you know how, how has it been challenging for you to answer that question which i'm sure you've been asked a thousand times and will continue to be asked a thousand more. Um, absolutely right. And, you know, that kind of comes back to it's okay if you say, if, if the data isn't saying something worked really well. And being able to have that trusted role within your organization so that you can feel comfortable bringing, bringing those results to life, regardless of the outcome, is really, really, really important. That's not to say that everything's going to be negative in terms of data and what you're going to be reporting on and and, um, and, and, and presenting out on, but we do have to, we do, everyone has to really embrace the fact that we actually learn and insights come from something not working. And that's how we optimize. And that's how we get better campaigns. That's how we get better activations, all of the above, as well as understanding that, you know, kind of to your statement about what somebody, tell me something, tell me this, you know, campaign or tell me, tell me this strategy is working really well. We also have to make sure that we're doing this over time. We're measuring and tracking over time versus a snapshot in time versus one moment that's making this up 10 days after the launch of a campaign. Sure, we wanna know what's happening. We wanna understand in the first few days and first few weeks, um, the success or, or trends in terms of what's happening, but being able to gauge that over time is really important too. So while we, you know, innovation and technology has given us data at our fingertips, there's also things that we still need to be able to be patient for too and wait to be able to collect enough data and information to draw the appropriate conclusions on is also really important as well. I like that. I, mean, I think that, yeah, the, what you're describing there, those methods and things, those you know, even transcend that question a bit and just really apply to a lot of different scenarios. So I think, I think that's very useful. Um, thank you. Um, I have sort of one other, one last question I would just pose based on thinking about your career journey, right? So you actually, um, I think it's really unique, the path that you traveled. So between Detroit, Chicago, San Francisco, now Nashville, these are very different 
regions. These are very different, I think, kind of cultures. I, I'm just curious to know, <laughs> this is from my perspective, I, you know, I, I'm curious to know, like, maybe just, do you see these differences? And if so, pros and cons, like, what do you see kind of different in the different areas? And what do you, maybe, what do you love most about Nashville? Because I'm jealous about Nashville, quite frankly. <laughs> so much wrapped up in that, um, <laughs> in your questions there. So first and foremost, um, my mom, even from when I was a little a little kid, would tell me that I was born with a suitcase in my hand. <laughs> so I always was very, you know, wanting to travel, wanting to live in different places. Uh, and I've certainly been able to do a lot of that, which I'm very grateful for and obviously grateful for my husband for, for you know, sticking with me through all of that, too. Um, but yes, there are differences. Um, there's differences East Coast, West Coast. West Coast would always say they're the best coast. Then you have Chicago saying that they're the best third coast. <laughs> then, you know, you've got the Great Lakes, which I've lived in, all can compete from a water standpoint, and now landlocked in Nashville. So very different terrains, very different, um, you know, climates from both a weather standpoint, as well as, you know, the types of organizations and companies that are in that are in those cities. So it's been fascinating going from, you know, Detroit that was it, historically, and now obviously diversifying has been awesome for the city, but um, having it have so such a central historical hub with automotive, you know, what I would notice, and you know, I'm not sure if you notice this too, Jason, but people would just kind of go from to from GM to Chrysler to Ford, maybe not all three of them, to a supplier to an ad agency, mm -hmm. and it's the same kind of group of you know group of folks, you know, moving around from from company to company, and then you go to Chicago, and it's very CPG focused. Very, very consumer packaged goods focused, very tactical with their with, um, you know, their activations or their marketing campaigns and marketing strategies. And then I moving out to California and working in the Bay Area was, you know, when I moved out there, I thought, well, for sure, I'm going to be working with like the Adobe's and the Citrix's and and, you know, the oracles of the world, sales forces of the world. And I, we did. I, I did at the companies I worked for. I thought going in that they would have it all figured out. Like they are the world's top companies from a tech standpoint. They have for sure got all of their data roadmaps and strategies figured out. They're making sense of their data. We're all in the same boat. <laughs> None of us have done it perfectly. None of us, you know, we're all still learning. They don't have it perfect either. So, you know, it's a little comforting to know you're in good company <laughs> with some of those firms too. Um, and then coming to Nashville, obviously a very, very rapidly growing city and moving here only gosh, four months before COVID lockdowns was very interesting because we didn't even really get to get, you know, our feet on the ground or anything before we were basically homebound. But I do, what I have noticed to kind of round out and conclude your question is before COVID, I noticed a significant amount of differences in just moving between two cities or when I would go back and visit Chicago or Detroit. What I've found though, since COVID is that as people become more mobile, they can live wherever they want. For the most part, they can work from home more often than they could. They can travel more overseas even. I feel like it's become much more, uh, we're becoming much more, um, uh, I don't know, I just forget. I don't even know the word to say. We're becoming much more homogeneous isn't the right word because that's not what I really mean. It's, that's what was coming to my mind. Like the, you know, the cultures are sort of blending more now is what it, it feels like. And so with that, yes. with that movement and that, I get it. Yeah. It, it's not just the blending, but it's, 
we're, we're morphing and, you know, people, some, you know, people I, I know in California were like, why, I can't believe you're moving to Tennessee. And it's so, it's so much more diverse and populated and urban centric than you would ever, you know, think if you had never visited here or, or, or have lived here or anything. So again, I think it's just everything coming together post COVID is allowing us to really get and work with the brightest and best people, regardless of where they are. And I think that's one of the best things that's come out of, come out of the last few years. Absolutely. And, and thank you, Heather, again, so much for kind of walking us through your career path, kind of learnings from that and, and sharing some of that advice for um, our listeners who might be looking to get into the data space or move around within the data space. Um, I think it's really important to hear from someone who has had, you know, a lot of different experiences in a lot of different areas. So thank you again so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, is there anything else that you would like to leave our listeners with before we uh, close out the recording? Uh, I think just to, to kind of conclude, I would say that if you're interested um, or are already a part of, you know, the data business intelligence analytics space, continue to to have that natural curiosity with your work and never never let go of that, regardless of what level you're you're at or the type of role that you're in. Always have that curiosity to understand the business, understand the the business decisions that will be made, and understand um, really what your organization is is trying to do holistically from a data road mapping and a data strategy standpoint. The Real Intelligence Podcast is presented by RxA, a leading data science consulting company. RxA provides project-based consulting, staff augmentation, and direct hire staffing services for data science, data engineering, and business intelligence to help our clients unlock the value in their data faster. Learn more by visiting our website at www.rxa.io or contacting our team at learn at rxa.io today.